0: Okay, welcome back, guys, to our final recording of uh, 2020. Uh, how are y'all doing? How are you holding up?
1: Pretty good. It's been it's been a crazy couple of weeks. The holiday seemed even more stressful than usual uh, for whatever reason. But honestly, you know, I actually found that having the restrictions in place made it a little bit more manageable, like less family stuff, even if doing everything required like 16
2: more steps <laughs> yeah. oh yeah i mean the the pandemic gave you like the ultimate excuse for like not uphold your social obligations it's yep. like the perfect oh my mom said i couldn't yep. right like you know invite you to do something it's like now my mom says
0: i can't i'm sorry yeah um, yeah and yeah. if needs be you can say it to your mom Dad and everybody, right? Um, not in so many words, but yeah.
2: I think my yeah. parents actually said it to me. Oh, wow! <laughs> like, yeah, we're not coming up. We're going to stay down at a, at our place on the beach. And it's like, oh, okay, thanks.
1: <laughs> yeah. So they're the ones who are going well, up with the excuse. That's that's a little bit of a reversal there, but I, I suppose they yeah. they want their break too.
0: <clears throat> yeah, and so we're we're gathered virtually, then at least to. Um, Talk a little bit about just what games we've been playing this past year, uh, with an eye particularly to new games, uh, games from this year. Um, if you guys have been playing new stuff, um, I, you know I tend not to, but uh, but I always am interested in learning more about kind of where the games industry and the medium is, um, and and just kind of how it's impacted this very strange and at times terrible year um, for y'all. So. Uh, yeah, Ben, why don't you start us off. Uh, what, what does this year in games mean to you as you're looking back at it?
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely been a weird one. Um, I feel like, and I mentioned this in the, the blog that I wrote a while ago, that I've kind of been gravitating away um, from sort of like the traditional big budget um, or even like more action-oriented games towards games that are quiet, cerebral, turn-based. That, that give me a chance to breathe. Um, so, you know, in the blog, I mentioned a lot about Sentinels of the Multiverse, which I've been playing a lot this year. Um, Monster Train, which came out this year, and I have sunk something like 200 hours in it since July. Um, it's uh, I, I've played a good bit of the the Pokemon Sword expansion that came out uh, later this year, um, just because it is again turn based and chill and pretty relaxing. Um, like, there are, there are definitely exceptions, but that's that's kind of what I found myself doing more than anything. Like, a lot of people were picking up games, you know, as their fundamental mode of, of escape. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I was sort of picking up games as a way to keep my mind busy, like, not thinking about other things. Escape not in the sense of finding a new place to be, but escape in the sense of, you know, being awake and not... In, this hellscape so to speak um, okay. and even, even some of the, the games that sort of fall outside of that category I, I find it, it's the same reason like the past week or two I've been playing a lot of Surviving Mars which is just this city building game where you're on Mars and you're trying to build like a functional colony and it's very low key at least if you're not enabling dust storms and stuff which I was too cowardly to do um but it was just like, okay, now here's my little civilization. Here's me building another dome. Here's me making another utility, like um, something mm-hmm. that I could control, something that I could I could manage, something that made me feel more powerful than you know caught up in this whirlwind of stuff way out of my control.
0: Yeah, dude. I mean, if only we could turn off the dust storms. Right. <laughs> just, just turn off uh, disasters
1: yeah. altogether. <laughs>
0: Steve, we you and I have been talking quite a bit about like as we're getting like what it's like to play video games versus when we were younger. Um like how much of the difference this year do you guys think is due to this year being what it's been and how much of it is just like getting older? Um how, how did those two things work together in in this shift?
2: Uh, wow uh okay uh yeah i don't know i don't think i've ever thought of it that way Uh, i i guess from like a personal experience i I think you know when the pandemic hit um i i I kept on going into work but like everything else kind of shut down and it it, i I don't want to say like i lost touch with reality but there wasn't like the same kind of internal uh clock going and I don't know like everything was just starting to kind of blend together because there wasn't sports on like the weekends were kind of meaningless the like regular days were kind of meaningless because it was you know so I, I, I kind of like looked to video games to escape find something to do like have something to look forward to to inject I guess just kind of something into, into my life um, and so I think that kind of started with Link's Awakening yeah. um, which you know I, it's a I guess, an update of an, of an old game. I mean, from as far as I can tell, yeah. it's, it's virtually similar to, or like, identical to the Game Boy version. I mean, there's like a couple new quality of life issues, but I don't think it's enough to say it's a new game. It's just, right. you know, with a fresh paint. Um, and I don't know, yeah, I, I you know, I, I enjoyed it, but again, I kind of like how we discussed, it's like, I still found it sometimes it was like a chore. It was like, okay, I just like, I want to finish this um you know and and so i guess now i'm kind of like trying to figure out like why did games uh why did i enjoy them so much when i was growing up like why don't i enjoy it as much now and i think maybe that's why i'm kind of trying to look more into the the meaning of the games and then like you know the mechanical points and like why we enjoy playing video games and what's enjoyable about them um but yeah i mean this not having anything to do socially um aside from playing games for playing games for this podcast right. uh kind of give me like a, a good chance to become kind of like introspective um and just kind of try to like figure out like I don't know I guess what makes me tick like what 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 do did I enjoy and why and why do I enjoy it or did I enjoy it? I guess in the case it's kind of like i'm I'm chasing that I guess I don't
1: know, yeah I think. Th- I think there's been a lot of that, honestly. Like I've seen not just you know among, among us, but also like friends on Facebook and their gaming habits, and um, like even some of the, the YouTubers that I watch. Um, one of one of the guys I follow, uh, Ian Danskin, mentioned that he too has found himself weirdly doing the opposite. Like he's playing a lot of Doom and Quake and like Twitch first-person shooters from the '90s and, and early 2000s. Um, but for the same reason like to exert that sense of control to you know escape from his situation to get his mind out of what else is going on um and i I think like i think a lot of us are in that position that we are sort of you know looking at our gaming libraries and looking at our gaming habits and watching them change and wondering you know how much is 2020 in this just wildly strange um and surreal circumstance that we found ourselves in and how much of it is just us becoming different. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and, and the two were kind of aligned, I think. Like, you know, as much as everybody is keen to, quote, return to normal, there's more and more murmuring in the ways that that's not at all a possible solution. Um, that, right. You know, 2021 is going to be more quarantine, and 2022 might be more climate disasters, and who knows, going forward. Um, Dust
2: storm. Turn them
0: off. right yeah just <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, back ben to something you said a minute ago um when you said among us i take it that you just meant like here talking on the podcast and all that um but there's also this game among yes. us it's like wildly popular right now but it's not a new game it's been out for a couple years right mm-hmm. it just suddenly like it was, popular. It was a
1: 2018 game that that apparently went pretty well unnoticed. Um, but the, between a couple of quality of life improvements that they made over the past couple of years, and presumably the circumstance, suddenly it is the big game that is like causing this massive cultural sort of response. Um, to the point that like it is the subject of all the memes, and everybody knows the characters, and everybody knows what sus is. Um, I've played it multiple times with my friends, and I know um, Stephanie and Sarah were playing a few times over the last couple of weeks. Um, Like, people are playing it, people who don't normally play games online. Um, And it's weird. Like, if anything, it's sort of strikingly wrong for 2020. That, you know, here is this game about everybody supposedly working together, but there are two or three or however many people who are actively undermining the project, and it is a game that deliberately sows paranoia and suspicion. Um, but, of course, you can do something about it. You know, it's got the one-night ultimate werewolf thing, where you, or the mafia thing, where you pick out, like, this is the imposter, and you chuck him into the lava, and hopefully it was, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe you
0: were deceived, um, but it yeah, is, no, I, yeah, I'll confess, I haven't actually played it. Um, oh, okay, I've, 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 I've avoided it uh, for, I guess, probably several different reasons, but, um, but yeah, um, I've been that's,
2: that's super sauce man.
0: What's that? The super sauce? I don't know, yeah, I don't know if we cool can trust you. Yeah. Um, it's. It seems like a fun game. Like I don't. I don't knock anybody who enjoys it, um, and yeah, Stephanie is definitely one of the people who loves that game. She especially loves, and this is the thing, she especially loves being the imposter. Yes, she loves getting to be the one who everyone is trying to catch, and um, it just—it seems like, yeah, just too stressful. I don't, I don't want to play it right now. I'm not, not in the space for it. Um, yeah.
1: Which I can't blame you on that I front either. Like, as much as I've spent some time playing it and I've had a couple of good rounds, overwhelmingly I always come away from it feeling uncomfortable. Like, um, like I'll play a session and it'll frequently involve people who I've never met before, which just further complicates the situation. And you know, like I'm a hardcore introvert and. A pretty strong agoraphobe in my own right, so meeting new people and interacting with them, even through the medium of the the virtual game, is more stressful than it often is um, for mm-hmm. others. So you know, it, it's never it's never been my favorite. Like I'll if everyone is playing it, I will join, but I'm not going to be the one to suggest it by any extent of the imagination.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, this year. I my the main thing I've been playing is Breath of the Wild aside from things we've been playing to talk about uh together and and the par- partly just because um I was teaching some Zelda classes uh and so I needed to know about this new uh mainline you know open world majestic masterpiece right but you know I I had to really overcome a lot of uh sort of mental and and to an extent physical obstacles in the way of getting into that game i eventually did get into it but um i was playing it on wii u okay and so it was like holding that controller and yep, figuring out all the different out. buttons and just like getting that thing to work um was pretty it was a, it was a learning curve
2: um when you say the controller you mean the game pad? The the Wii U, <laughs> yeah, the,
1: <laughs> I don't know. Walking, like, thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, you, there there is like the Wii U Pro controller, which is just like a, a normal controller that you can play with if it's docked into the TV. I was just just confirming. Go on, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, well, I, mean, I didn't mean to interrupt, but.
0: Anyways. Um. No. Yeah. That's. So yeah, I was planning on that, and uh, I really enjoyed like a lot of the gameplay of it. I enjoyed the story of it. Um, but I I think I also, you know, felt like I was just catching up, like playing catch up with uh, a, a, a world of gaming that had just like, so far passed me by at this point, like, I really haven't played many new games over the past decade, I want to say. Um, and so it was just a, a kind of a culture shock. Yeah. to immerse myself in this open world game where like stuff is constantly happening and um yeah it it was just a bit overwhelming for me uh so I, I just feel like I didn't really enjoy it the way I enjoy you know the classic games of my youth um and I just I feel it that's probably just on me so <laughs> I don't know well it's not um, just
1: you i mean when i i got breath of the wild and the switch for christmas 2017 i want to say Like, it was the, that was the release year of the Switch. That was the year that Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey came out. Um, And my friends pitched in, got the Switch, got me both Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey. Um, And I went in expecting that, like, Breath of the Wild was going to be the game. Like, I've always been such a huge Zelda fan. Um, And it was a slog. Like, I do not remember the time I played Breath of the Wild terribly fondly. Um, And part of it was because I felt driven to complete it. I felt like, as a Zelda fan, I need to beat this as quickly as possible. And it's not a game for beating quickly. Like, it was a 90-hour slog, and I feel like the game, you know, trying to uncover every little detail was absolutely the wrong approach. Um, You know, there's so much to that game, but it's best experienced slowly. Um, Like, you you take time and you savor the environments, you stand on the edge of that snowy cliff and gaze out into the the nothing, or, you know, you you wander through the the open dunes of the desert, or you're, you know, hopping up the waterfalls in the Zora area, or, you know, exploring the dinosaur bones on the, the slopes of Death Mountain. Like, those are great moments, but if you're just there to get the next thing, you're doing it completely wrong
0: um it's really interesting you you put that way because that's that's basically what Steph and sarah were talking about with their approaches to animal crossing which i feel from what i've seen that's got to be the game of the year right i mean um it's like the thing that kept people human during the pandemic and uh and it's not a game that you can really complete like that's kind of the whole point and so to play it that way is is sort of to, to miss the point um yeah. Again, a game I have played a very small amount of, so uh, just it's not really my thing. But but yeah. <laughs> uh, but so yeah. So um, as far as quote unquote new games, like that's basically that's basically it for me. I did play the the, the Zelda um, Link's Awakening as well. Enjoyed it. But again, like, like you said, Steve, it's it's basically the game that came out for the Game Boy all those years ago with a, with a, a better graphics. Um, so I, I don't really I don't know that I can really count that one either. Um, so if I, I were to play, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say another game that I that I played
2: uh, was Paper Mario Origami King. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, I I found that a, a very enjoyable game. Um, you know, I, it, it's it's weird because you go back and we've talked about Super Mario RPG being kind of you know the the forefather of all the other Mario RPGs that have come out, and there's basically like two lines. You have the Paper Mario games, and then you have the Mario and Luigi games on the uh, handhelds, and it's it's weird how many chances the Paper Mario franchises has, like... Yeah, it's done some old
3: stuff. stuff.
2: Yeah, it, it's like it's very hard to even say, like, what a Paper Mario game is, aside from just, like, an aesthetic standpoint. It's like, oh, it's Mario and it's paper, but beyond that, like, I couldn't tell you what defines a Paper Mario game. Um, yeah, and th- this game, it, it kind of had the same feeling for Breath of the Wild, where you kind of just take it at your own pace. It's not, there's not as many, like, level ups in that kind of, like, feedback loop of, oh, you want to go into more battles and grind because you get better levels and, and better mm-hmm. items. I mean, in that game, the weapons broke as well, so you kind of had the same little sort of weapon issue that you did in Breath of the Wild. Um, And I think that's just kind of the philosophy that Nintendo is trying to take now, where it's not, and I think it it almost caters more to our lifestyle, where it's, we can't devote hundreds of hours to get every Korok seed in Breath of the Wild. Um, And it's just kind of like, yeah, you you turn the game on at your leisure, you kind of do whatever you want, you turn it off, and it's like, okay, all right. Um, You know, you can just experience it at your own pace, which... I, I welcome in this in this day and age. Yep.
0: I I do I feel that and yet I just I feel like I've been I've been inculturated to expect a certain um, reward know, like, directness or, or experience yeah. from, uh, from playing games that I I no longer uh, I no longer have access to in yeah. some way
1: Makes sense. I think a large part of it, like it, it's not just Nintendo, but you know, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with Ubisoft. They are they are very much the, the sort of uh, ostensible culprits um, of the games as service model, uh, which has been you know both much trumpeted from the, the like corporate standpoint, but also much booed from the the uh, audience standpoint. And you know, years back, like probably close to a decade now, although that might be generous. Um, Ubisoft was sort of approaching Far Cry and Assassin's Creed and Watch Dogs as though these would be games that would just not stop. Like you would play them and they would keep offering more content. It would be more DLC, more um, you know, like more aesthetic changes, more uh, more of all sorts of other things, but to keep people in the cycle until the next game was released. Um, and that, that very much was picked up by everyone, like Call of Duty is doing the every year we have a new game and every year there are upgrades and every year there are new maps and you, get, you pay all your way through all the things and there's a new game that drops and the whole cycle starts all over again. Um, mm. And Breath of the Wild is very much modeled off the, the Ubisoft sandbox model, like there's a lot that they're borrowing, even though that they're, they're very much changing it up and making it their own. Um, Like, as much as it is a return to form, like what the original Legend of Zelda was doing, you know, they they are looking over the shoulder of the copycats of the copycats on this one. So, you know, Breath of the Wild is very much a product, very much an original thing in its own right. I don't want to sort of, like, depreciate that. But at the same time, you know, you get this sense that it was meant to be a game that took over your life, or at the very least that you could, you know, that you turned into a habit rather than making it into a one-and-done experience. Um, You know, like, and people did that with Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and many of the Zelda games prior. Like, they would play it and they would beat it, and, you know, three, four months later, they'd be back at it again. Like, as a kid, I remember you just, you know, beat your way to Ganon and then boot it up and keep on going. Um, Right. But now it's very much on the model that, you know, like following MMORPGs and following games like Fortnite with the the updates and the, the events and all that, now you have a game and it releases and it is enough. Like it is big and it is compendious and you spend a little bit of time every day playing it instead of, you know, like two hours for two weeks, or two hours a day for two weeks until it's done. Um, being done is not the goal of contemporary gaming. And it is strange, like, uncomfortable, especially to us who grew up with that sort of, like, goal-oriented, I am going to beat this mindset. You no, know, nobody beats Fortnite. They just show up again and again and again they show up day after day after day to play with their friends or play alone or to do whatever the new thing is um it's a paradigm that is kind of hard to wrap your mind around um and on, on the plus side you know you drop your 60 bucks and you get your money's worth on the downside you see these games turning predatory like they are you know making sycophants and you know sort of like eating up time and and sort of frustrating innovation because you're sort of locked in this cycle and the, there's this resistance against change and moving forward.
0: That's interesting. I mean, I one question I have as I survey, you know, uh, in this kind of zoomed out fashion, um, but based on some concrete experiences and observations, like where would gaming go from here? This is what I was like gonna ask, I was like, if I were to, you know, play a game that was to deliver some sort of new and, and excellent and, and delightful and fun and surprising experience, like, what would that game look like? Um, and I, I guess there's probably more than one answer to this, but, um, but I'm curious what you all think. Uh, what is a game that sort of shows the way forward out of this, um, this infinite loop or w- whatever this, this place is that we found ourselves? Um,
1: I think there, like you said, there are probably a couple of approaches. Um, one is that you know games are constantly trying to distinguish themselves aesthetically. Um, you know, you see a new art style, or you see a flashy new, you know, like world design, like with Cy- Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven for example. Like even for all of its bugs, it's a very recognizable game with a very recognizable aesthetic. Um, nobody has done a cyberpunk world that is that richly realized, um, so that's you know one of the things that can that they can sell you on. But it is superficial, like it is just aesthetic. Um, on the other side, you know, again, I like I've got my head in the indie game sphere, and their approach is completely anathema to the AAA space. Um, like they are constantly releasing small cheap games that focus on one new idea or one new uh, interesting approach or concept and just explore it to its limit. Um, mm-hmm. So like for example I just finished playing Rhyme, um, which is this positively gorgeous little indie game from I want to say three or four years ago at this point um, and I got it for my nephew like I I try and keep an eye out for games that, that are kid-friendly so I can pass them on to my nephews who just love video games and they have a PS4 and not a Nintendo and as a result it's not entirely obvious what games are, are best for them. Um, so I got him a Slime Rancher earlier this year and he loved it and he was catching all the slimes they wanted to dress up as a slime for Christmas and they made slime pumpkins and um, it was a lot of fun, and he would literally called me up a couple of times just to explain what he was doing on Slime Rancher in his, you know, six-year-old, fairly incoherent fashion. Um, and then I found Ryan, and I'm not sure if that's entirely right for him. It may skew a little older thematically, but you know, it, it's it reminds me of Zelda. It is, for one thing, finite. Um, it is fairly open world, but it is not, you know it is not like open-ended it is still linear even within a world that you do uh, explore and sort of investigate um, and I think that indies are, are sort of pushing even more in that direction like they're, they're no longer aspiring to be triple-a games but instead are sort of forming the other axis um, mm-hmm. Of what gaming is doing right now, like if you want the small, carefully tailored, focused experience, well, the indie games have it for you. But at the same time, AAA is constantly offering, "Hey, here is a game that will take over your life. It is gorgeous and it has everything that you know contemporary technology can offer you. Play, it and you will not be dissatisfied." Um, so, you know, I think those are kind of the two. The question then is, you know, as the saying goes from the, the Romance of the Three Kingdoms, the kingdom long divided must unite, um, mm-hmm. and long united must divide. So I would think that the next logical step forward is that we're going to see more games that sort of bridge that gap, um, more games that are doing a more tailored experience than we're seeing from the AAA space once the AAA Games, realize that you can only play, you know, one Assassin's Creed Valhalla, one Breath of the Wild right. at a time, um, like there's just not enough time in the day and people, especially if the, their purse strings become a little tighter because of the, the epidemic, um, they will no longer be able to just pile up games on their on their shelf with the intention but not the time to play them. Um, yeah. But on you know on the other side, I expect that we're going to see more of a space for games that were fairly lavishly produced, but do in fact have you know a finite beginning and end that do in fact have a clock on them, and don't expect you to just while away all of your free time playing them.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that seems right to me, uh, and. I don't know, Steve. What What do you think about uh, as far as games that seem like they show a, a way forward or, or something kind of new and um, maybe off the beaten path?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think Ben kind of articulated it. It's the the big studios are going to make like the AAA money makers. Indie companies will make the next big hit, and then the AAA's will copy it. Um, and I think that's going to be kind of the cycle that we have. Uh, it, it's, it's very odd. Not it's not odd, but like the fact that console gaming, you know, I know you have exclusives for the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox, and and I don't know if the PC actually has any exclusives. But like those are kind of, in my mind, like all three of those are, are the same. So you kind of have that and then like Nintendo and then I guess like the handheld market. I guess it's just difficult to say since the market for gaming is so large now. I mean, yeah. mobile games on like your cell phone are, are huge uh, money makers. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it's weird to see the landscapes uh, changing, yeah. um, especially from back when we were kids where, you know, you had the Sega, the Nintendo, maybe a, uh, turbo graphics. If you right. know the, the weird thing down the street, um, uh, <laughs> You know, PC games were garbage back then. I mean, I guess you'd like point and click adventures. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Mega Man on DOS was like, you know, garbage. I don't know, it's just weird cause the market's building the avenues in which the developers can get games to the consumers has expanded so much, um, a lot more mainstream than it used to be. It's just, it's hard to say, it's such a broad question that it's, it's like impossible to just Kind of make a general statement about it, yeah.
1: Uh, and I think we are seeing some fairly interesting developments as far as that's concerned. Like, 2020 was the year the new console generation came out, and it feels like nobody noticed. You know, it's
0: so weird. It's a, it's entirely bifurcated, right? There's people whose lives revolve around this thing, oh, yeah. you know, and everyone else is like, yeah, but, but these other problems are so big. <laughs> like, yeah, stop. And, and I mean, about. Like, I had a conversation with
1: Sarah at one point. She's like, do you want a PS5 for Christmas? And I did a little bit of research, and I was like, no. (laughs) No, I don't want you to go through all that for one thing, but no, it doesn't have anything that I want. Like, it said backwards compatible, and apparently that meant it will play some PS4 games. Like, I've got a (laughs) backlog of PS3 and PS2 and PS1. Like, I never even bothered to pick up a PS4 and the reason why I didn't was because it had like two exclusive titles that I wanted to play, and literally everything else came out on PC within a year. Um, so, you know, I, I think, I, I think like the the consoles are definitely a force to be reckoned with. There is very much like. a a contingent of the gaming population that is 100% devoted to this, or else the fact that Sony could say, you know, we are having an application process for the pre-order and still somehow make money is, you know, it's obvious that there are devotees out there. Um, But I also think that the more they gate off what they have to offer, the less that's going to be a viable strategy. Um, Yeah. Like, I, I think, you know, the, the exclusive list for the both the, the new Xbox and the PS5 are frankly sad. Like they, they released Bug Snacks and and a re-release of Demon's Souls. Like Demon's Souls was the bad game in the Dark Souls franchise, released, you know, years before even the first Dark Souls. Bug Snacks, Playstation's like, ha huh, we have Bug Snacks and like three days later, Epic's like, so do we. So now it's not exclusive anymore. You know, like, why would you even bother to get this highfalutin console when it doesn't have anything to offer? So I I suspect it's going to skew more and more elite as time goes on. Which is really strange because that was always what PC gaming was all about. Like, you know, you would buy your fancy graphics card and get your swanky, you know, flight controller or whatever, and You know, you'd soup up your computer and it cost you a good thousand dollars, but then you could play all of the best things, Crisis at maximum settings. Um, And, you know, increasingly, as PC gaming has sort of been bleeding over into the mobile market, as indie games are sort of targeting multiple consoles simultaneously, I like it's really hard to see why you would get a console if. What they're doing is basically everything that the PC is doing, with more limitations, bugs, and problems. Um, yeah, like
2: it, Sounds awful.
1: Yeah, it, I I think at the very least it'll become very niche in the next you know few years. Like the, the consoles will increasingly become less relevant um, to the gaming market. Like while Steam and Epic and you know other digital platforms for the PC are sort of battling it out there and thus bringing the prices down, I think more people are going to be moving that way or just taking up casual gaming, like picking up their cell phones and seeing what they can do with it. um, Especially as they become more powerful. Um, Yeah. I mean,
2: I just got the uh, Xbox S. So, you know, having this conversation about how it's kind of, you know, meaningless now and all that, it's like, yeah, uh, okay, well, but a bit of virus. I'm so sorry, I
1: did not mean to. Uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I, I got it so that I could play uh near automata. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, I no, no, no one to blame but myself for spending three hundred dollars on a console to play a an old game. Yeah, uh, but still, <laughs> so so it's before. cheaper than
1: paying a thousand for a new PC that can run everything. So again,
2: yeah. well... You know, I guess that's one thing that the system offers. It's, like, a lot more user-friendly. Um, and then also, like, consoles now are kind of morphed into this, like, entertainment center. You know, you yes. can all, like, the app, watch, like, Hulu and all that stuff on there. So it's more than just a gaming system, I guess. Um, and I guess that's how they're trying to stay relevant, because for the point, for the reasons you raised. Like, if it was just a purely, like, a gaming thing, it's like, oh, yeah, a computer's better. Yep.
1: Hands down. The
2: potential right. of a is a lot better and for about the same price. I mean, I think you could get a computer with like comparable specs to a PS5. Um, I don't know that. I don't know why I think that, but- No, uh,
1: that's legit. Like considering that you're dropping $500 for a PS5 out of the gate, you know, if you spend $500 on a gaming laptop, you'll be able to play basically anything the PS5 does, maybe with a couple of limitations. But again, at least to me, it comes down to the exclusives and yeah. they're just not there um, in this particular case except for Nintendo of course which has you know the chokehold on Mario and Zelda and the rest
0: this is my yeah. concern I guess with as far as um, playing games like that um, I, the problem is like in some way they aren't even the same games anymore yeah. right like to call it a Mario game or a Zelda game, they're sort of converging on this, you know, open world, beautiful graphics, uh, but but sort of in uncompletable, right? They they're just like infinite games. Um, it's it's very strange and um, and sort of surreal. Um, like I enjoyed Mario Odyssey, I yeah, I liked I Breath of, of the Wild, but but I'm not going to like um, you know, remember them fondly the way that I do the old games, then I'm not going to go back and play them, I don't think, uh, for the foreseeable future. So, but the near Automata, can we, can we agree on how to pronounce that? Will you just tell us, Ben? <laughs> uh, what, how do you say that? I
1: think it's automata. Um, I've, I've heard it both ways. Um, I, I think automata would make it sound like, we're we getting ready to pronounce automatapia or something. Um so yeah, I, I hesitantly say automata until we have better um, evidence otherwise. Is it, ever,
0: is it ever pronounced within the game? No, like...
1: never. Like
0: it's
1: it's very much a title that does not have any sort of in-game relevance. Uh, like when we when we start playing it, you'll find that like the characters, the automata themselves, do not refer to themselves as automata um uh, it is thematic and unspoken so oops
0: okay okay But so how am i gonna play this game like I don't, what's that
2: spoiler alert. <laughs>
0: Sorry. <laughs> Very
1: minor spoilers, I suppose. Negative spoilers? Is uh, that a thing? Can you spoil something that's not in there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but,
2: you know, I, it's like if you tell someone that there's like a twist in a movie, it's like, well, you've kind of spoiled. Like, if, if I know that there's a twist going in, right. you know, now, now, I'm like, oh, okay. But I guess at the same What's token, the-
1: if you tell someone that there isn't a twist in the movie, that's spoiling. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Is it uh, like I don't I don't know if it's valid for me to like I do want to play this game but I might just have to end up watching let's plays or something because I don't know if my computer can handle the near automata. It is uh,
1: surprisingly demanding. I suspect that it's it could be poorly optimized. Um, but yeah, I I have. It says that Nintendo Switch is supposed to get a copy in April, which doesn't help us all that much.
0: Um,
1: or that might be the the sequel, in which case, oops. Um, but yeah, I there is not an easy solution here. I, I played it on PC, and honestly, like my computer at the time had trouble running it, and I it, my computer at that time was no slouch. Um, so you know. Like, it would, it would be rather, rather prohibitively expensive. Um, so, but I also know that it is one of those that Google Play has, so you could theoretically stream it um, as, you know, that's not an ideal option in many cases, but it would be an excuse to explore yet another one of those weird directions that gaming is sort of branching out into, like streaming it yeah. from a computer far, far away from you. Um, so that might be worth looking into. I, I think that's a subscription service and a fairly comparable one to, like, a, a Netflix or something. Um, and you okay. can poke around on and see what else is there. Um, but, yeah, like, if, if your laptop is, or if your computer is not up to the task, um, like, if it's not fairly tricked out, I suspect that you will not have much luck with running it, um, even at yeah. low settings.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I am th- I feel like this is actually kind of an interesting, you know, talking about the kind of hardware, the kinds of games, um, the kinds of worlds and immersion experiences, or, or whatever you want to call it, that, that they provide. Um, I feel like the, you know, the agency of the player is really kind of up in the air at a certain point with this stuff. And um, it does strike me that, like, a lot of the games that get a kind of mass appeal they're the ones that people can just play on their phones right like that's that accessibility is a big part of their their draw um and on the other hand plenty of people who can't actually play the game will sit down and watch like their yes. favorite streamer or you know just watch a, a video on youtube or whatever it might be and um and kind of uh, invest the time and attention um but not have the ability to truly explore the game. So I, I wonder about the kind of like valorization, um, speaking of like, you know, paying your $60 or your $300, or your $500 or whatever, like how do we value this, the ability to physically push the buttons versus just watching and seeing what these essentially cinematic experiences are like? Um, or, you know, maybe that's, to sell them short, but, um, well, but it I, does strike me in the direction we're headed.
1: Yeah, and I think you have a really good point there. Um, like, especially because, you know, you, you're seeing a kind of merging of mediums um, in, in more than just, like, within video games. Like, movies are becoming more video gamey at the same time as video games are becoming more cinematic. Um, like, you, you see things like the, the Bandersnatch one-off from Black Mirror where it was, you know, a movie... Mm but a movie where you get to decide what happens. Um, You're seeing, you know, movies that are structured the way that video games are with lots and lots of characters and plot lines branching over multiple installments. Um, You know, the universe is very much a big selling point in film today, uh, or at least popular film, uh, which is very much the same as you see in video games. So, you know, it would make sense, you know, as much as it's still kind of a common joke that like no successful video game movie has yet been made. Arguably the most successful video game movies at this point are video games and the most successful video games based on movies are movies. Um, like the, the engagement I think remains the same. Um, what you, what you show up for, um, probably isn't the button pressing probably isn't you know wandering around under some fantastic world under your own steam whatever it is that you're looking for you can get it as easily from playing the star wars game as watching the star wars movie um the story isn't important the plot isn't important the ability to move around the mechanics none of those are important instead it's the escapism um or at least that's what it seems like. Um, Obviously, you know, different people come to these with different sort of needs and desires in mind. Like, again, we talked a little bit about Bartle's Taxonomy, I think last week, maybe in weeks past anyway. Um, So obviously, you know, different players are coming to these games for different reasons, with different motivations, looking for different things. Um, But again, to that mass appeal, you know, On the one hand, there is the whole, you know, I want to escape from my reality, like 2020 is lousy, so I'm going to play some Animal Crossing, or watch a Let's Play of Animal Crossing, or, you know, watch this, watch Wonder Woman, or play a video game about superheroes. Um, But at the other, on the other hand, I think, um, I think the other part of that is the social dimension. You know, a big game like Cyberpunk 2077 comes out, and there is immense social pressure to know what the conversation is doing. You know, Avengers (laughs) Endgame comes out, and you've got to get there. You've got to get out and see. You've got to know what happens to the characters so you won't be left in the dark at the water cooler. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got these movies that they rely on the first weekend box office, and that's like a third of their total income. You see these games; they come out and they're hyped and they're pre-ordered. And, you know, if you don't bother to pre-order it, then what are you even doing? Don't you have FOMO, fear of missing out? Like, <laughs> I think that's another huge draw there. You know, you, anytime there's some big new piece of media, you know, it's better to watch the let's play than it is to be completely in the dark. Um, who cares? Who is experiencing it as long as you know what it was that you were supposed to experience? Which is grim,
0: I think. Um, Interesting. Well, I think there's a positive spin you can put on that social aspect, though. Uh, yeah. By the same token, um, it definitely has its negative aspects to it. It's it's toxic and um, and stress inducing, you know, and all, that. But-
3: and all
1: that. But at the same time, you're right. Like you know, this does bring people together. You know, like, you, you've got all those memes from Avengers Endgame where people, you know, recognize what it feels like to have people get your back. Like, the, all those memes that were dropping when during the election or during COVID, where it was like Captain America on your left, and you see all the people come out, and everyone's talking about how they feel more comfortable. You know, it tapped into something, something that everyone could experience, something that everyone could share. That's good. Like, that's what art is supposed to do. Um, even if it is by proxy, like even if you only need to know the reference point more than you need to have sat in a theater and felt it.
0: Well, yeah. And especially now that again, the the medium of the theater is like completely inaccessible. So yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah. If we're watching movies, it's at home (laughs) on our own,
1: which just brings Uh, up the whole conversation with streaming services, but that's way out of our purview, even if it is related
0: no, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know that I want to go there. I do. Yeah. I do want to go to the um, the the sort of art question, though, a little bit actually. Um, like, I think of Breath of the Wild. You know, I'm sorry, this is not a 2020 game. So maybe Cyberpunk, right? Which is probably the biggest gaming story of the year, right? The the kind of way that it falls on its face after the the launch. Um, and all of the pressure building up before that. But but yeah, it, as far as a work of art, uh, as it aspired to, um, it was certainly a, a distinctive uh, and maybe, you know, avant-garde sort of um, piece. Um, and yet, like, I don't know that it um, could possibly have the staying power that we would associate with classic games even, uh, much less like classic works of art. You know, the kind of acceleration and the um, the way that these big releases, uh, big franchises come out with a new game every year or two or whatever, right? right. It just seems like it's such a flux where the, the very idea of a work of art sort of just melts away. And what you're left with is this kind of, yeah, this kind of, Flowing, uh, coursing—you uh, know—sense s- s- that there is something there that you can't quite grasp. Right. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel much more comfortable calling old, um, self-contained games works of art than I do even something as cool as um, Breath of the Wild, Cyberpunk, whatever. Like, yeah. I just don't know. I, I think there's there's sort of a different thing. Um,
1: they might be. I'm not sure. Yeah, I feel like Cyberpunk might be a bad example in this case because it does have sort of old design ethos in mind. Like CD project Red is story focused, is you know putting together like a, a, a relatively linear, relatively story driven experience rather than like the the sort of sweeping um, you know game as service like you see from Ubisoft or even Breath of the Wild to some degree. Um, but in both cases, at the very least, you know there is something distinctive being sold. It's not, you know, yet another Call of Duty. It's not yet another Assassin's Creed. Um, it's not just the newest installment in something, you know, that's been around forever. Um, like at Breath of the Wild is another Zelda game, but it's a very different Zelda game, and it at least has that going for it. Cyberpunk is not a new IP, like it's definitely ripping from the the original role-playing game, but a tabletop role-playing game. This is is very much CD Projekt Red trying to launch a new franchise, which I respect, um, much as it may have not been successful. Um, So, you know, on some level, I think you're right, but I think you're right because it's the It's the circumstances more than the actual contents of the piece. It's the fact that Cyberpunk 2077 was released along with so many other games that we're supposed to remember, that are supposed to be important. Um, All these games that, you know, we did watch Let's Plays, and we did just sort of, like, let it pass over us. Um, If Animal Crossing is the game that most, like, embodies what 2020 was all about, that drew us all together and sort of, you know may have the most lasting cultural impact, I think it's kind of fitting that 90% of its players aren't interested in playing it anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. That it's kind of, you know, it's been drowned out by the next big thing a half dozen times at this point. You know, everybody was playing Animal Crossing, then everybody was playing Among Us, now everybody is talking about Cyberpunk. Three months, who knows what the next one will be. Um, So, you know, I think whatever cyberpunks merits, it exists in a world where it has to be really, really good in order to stand out in order to keep attention for more than a little while. Um, And I I suspect that some of that is just, you know, us in our time. Like we uh, are already remembering all of our old games so fondly that it's, there's not a lot of room for us to sort of adopt new masterpieces and, acknowledge new cultural moments and events. Um, but I think in truth, like, because there is so much pressure put on, on you know, marketing and the engines of, of like YouTube and various reviewers to sort of make this into a big cultural moment and sort of stage it instead of letting it happen naturally uh, and also to stage it among all these other people doing tr- competing for doing the same thing mm-hmm. it the value of that cultural moment very much is depreciated. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that we're not going to get the occasional breakout, weird title that people still remember. Like, Undertale came out a few years ago, and people are still very invested in that world and that lore. Um, as much as, you know, it, it has been supplanted in the cultural conversation dozens of times over at this point in time, its fans are still fans. Um, they remember it. They return to it. They go back to it. They, you, you still know what Undertale was in a way that you might not know, like any of the other releases that came out that same year. Like I can't even remember off the top of my head, like what would compete for cultural cachet in that moment.
0: Um, yeah. No, it's not I, just twenty twenty. That's a blur to me at this point. It's like the past decade. Yeah. Like I, as far as as that is, like I, I it's yeah. all wash I
2: mean, it, 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 what you're saying kind of sounds like, you know, when your parents say you're, the, you know, our generation's music is awful, like, when, you know, in the 70s, when they were listening to music on the, on the regular, and like, now they just can't understand it. I mean, I think you know, when we look back at the Nintendo, Super Nintendo, and we think of, oh, Chrono Trigger, that's a work of art. Right. Oh, uh, you know, Super Mario Brothers 3, that's a work of art. There's, like, a survivorship bias where it's, like, we're only looking at the games that we remember, and not mm-hmm. that there were, like, 690 games on the NES that were just complete crap. Yes. So it's we look, we look and we're like, oh, wow, like, look at the Super Nintendo, like Final Fantasy Three, uh, Chrono Trigger, Super Mario RPG, you know, Fifteen works of art but like again that's 15 out of like 450 games Yeah, um, I think that games now again there's like a broader base because back then as we discussed previously there was two consoles and I don't think the Genesis had any works of art if <laughs> you're asking me enough but um, you know the, the, the pool was a lot smaller I, I think in 20 years, people who are, you know, 15 now and they're 35 and they're doing their retrospective on whatever the equivalent of a podcast is for them 20 years down the road, they'll probably be like, remember Cyberpunk and how great that was and blah, blah, blah. And that was the work of our games. They suck. Um, yeah. They don't have any cause So I, you know, but again, they're only going to look back at the games that had that that kind of like cultural significance and, and they're just going to forget all the other crap games that they played for 10 minutes and and never looked at again yeah um
1: and that will include our favorites like they'll play ocarina of time and they'll say i can't get into this and put it down and never try it again and feel totally vindicated um i mean I, i i had a student this semester um she she had an assignment from another professor uh where she was supposed to like write a paper a persuasive paper Um, and give it to one of her other professors. In this case, I was the other professor. Um, Sorry if that was extremely convoluted. At any rate, she intended to write me a paper in which she was going to convince me that Avengers Endgame was the best movie of all time. Um, (laughs) And, you know, like, I know that this is... That was going to be a tough sell no matter what. Like, I'm just knowledgeable about film enough to... To be dangerous when it comes to naming best movies of all time. Um, like I've seen enough of, you know, the the classics. I've seen Vertigo. I've seen Casablanca. I've seen Citizen Kane, to know, you know, what a good movie actually looks like, um, or you know, why they call it a good movie at the very least. Um, mm. And you know, in response to her original email, I was like, you're going to have a, a, a trouble convincing me that the that Avengers Endgame is the best Avengers movie of all time. Um, since I'm a fairly devoted follower of the first one. Um, but, you know, to her, she was not exaggerating. Like, this was not, you know, rose-tinted glasses covering, covering her face. Like, she honestly was moved by this. This was a work of art that spoke to her on a deep and meaningful level. Um, and I could see why. Like, as much as Endgame is kind of broken as an individual work of art, it's powerful in its context, like there was so much buildup and there were these moments that just lasted in the cultural consciousness. Like, I recognize that, I respect that. Um, and I suspect that people are going to have the same reaction when you talk about cyberpunk, when you talk about Breath of the Wild. Like, as much as I might poo-poo Breath of the Wild and say, well, they didn't really do Ganon right, they, you know, there weren't these problems, and I found these things irritating, and I didn't play it correctly, um, like, I felt rushed, I felt like I wasn't enjoying it, they'll come back and say, you know, I was 10, it blew my mind. Um, right. Or I was 15, and it was a revelation. Like, I had never done anything like this before because I didn't have anything to compare it to. Um part of the reason you know in the same way that we're talking about like cyberpunk 2077 possibly being drowned out by all the other games this year that's elitism talking that's us sitting at the top of the mountain with all of our finances and all of our internet knowledge you know looking mm-hmm. out and saying I heard about this game, this game 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 and this game and then cyberpunk came out and how does it really expect to distinguish itself? in their cases you know they don't have access to those resources they don't know where to look you know even if they do have the money like even if they're they're you know in that lucky group of people whose parents are buying them every fancy big new release that comes out you know they will only have those games not like 30 years of past gaming experience um, right. they'll be like, Wow, I cannot believe this. This is an awesome world without knowing, as I know, that it's based on the cyberpunk role-playing game, which is based on Shadowrun, which is based on, you know, Neuromancer and like the Matrix ties into this and like all of the other cyberpunk media, you know, this will be their first taste. And yeah, it's gonna leave an impression because you know, this isn't just a work of art, this is a work of art in a genre that has been built up. And like constructed by literally generations of artists refining this idea, you know, breaking it down to its most accessible on the one hand, but also its most salient uh, components on the other. You know, is a rough book to read. It is messy and it is ugly. And I imagine that Cyberpunk fixes a lot of that, you know, as buggy as it might be and technically. Um, Yeah. So, you know, when I read Snow Crash for the first time and it blew my mind, I didn't know that I was, you know, taking my first steps into a giant world of cyberpunk literature. I imagine a lot of these people will be doing the same and it will stick, whether it deserves it or not. And they'll see the merit and there will be merit. Like if it sticks at all, it's because, you know, how many people, how many artists really like put their blood, sweat and tears into this game? Um, Yeah.
0: I feel like that, that should be a, a a starting point and not an end point then for, for somebody in the in the situation you're describing, like your student, right? Where if they really love that movie, book, game, whatever, then they'll sort of want to dig in and find out more about where it comes from, what it what it comes out of. Yes. What it's responding to, right? What's what else is out there. And, you know, that's that seems like a really a really um, important starting point because I think I think you don't necessarily get that same desire to learn more if you're just, like, shown something and told it's good. Right. You only get that if you see something and you think, hey, that's really good. Like, I love that thing. And, yeah. then, and then you can go and learn more, right? And so... Yeah, you never introduce like, somebody
1: to the Zelda franchise by having them play the first Legend of Zelda. Like, you will turn them <laughs> off so
0: fast. Um, right. Like, the legacy so I feel like is, in- is
1: important, but yeah.
0: Yeah, like there, it's very it's very good that these franchises keep putting out new games, if only so that you know people will will continue to be hooked into them and and uh, hopefully go go and find out more about the uh, the roots behind them um, in, in in due time. Yeah, they um, keep the torch so. burning. There we go. There we go. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I. I feel pretty okay about uh, the state of things, um, despite everything. Uh, just because, just because it's still possible to access those old games. Like Steve, you sent me this beautiful two DS that's got a bunch of these old games on it. Nice. Uh, it's it's gonna get some good good use. Um, yeah. How's that, and...
2: how's that going, by the way? Are you having any trouble with the games working?
0: I well, the thing is, I'm gonna have to figure out my SD card situation if yeah. I want to if I want to uh, continue to expand my library um, uh, in in slightly nefarious ways. But um, but as far as the games that are on there, yeah, they're they're perfect. Yeah,
2: dude, you're just gonna dump the games that you already own and put them on your two DS. There's nothing nefarious about it. Yeah.
0: Not a not a nefarious thing happening here. Nothing to see here. Um, Yeah, but I don't know if I have an SD thingy in any of my computers. Again, my computers are inadequate, Mm -hmm. and I'll have to address that. Um, Yeah, yeah, you can get
1: converters like a USB SD reader and writer for that matter. So it's not without, like it's within the realm of possibility. I've very much converted to SD cards and gotten fairly adept at moving them around with relatively little trouble.
2: Okay, does it not have an SD slot at all?
0: I feel like it might have it might have it somewhere, but I've never used it. Like there's all these I don't know, like I'm not a computer person. There's all these like openings on the computer that I don't know what they're for. Yeah, you've probably uh, got Rusty in there. Uh, probably yeah, yeah. somewhere.
2: Take take some pictures. I mean if if you want, you know. Take pictures of the whole of the sides of the or, of the holes and I can take a look and see. I'll
0: just I'll get Stephanie to do it for me. I'm sure she can figure it out. She's pretty savvy with <laughs> it.
2: All right. All right. Sorry. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to go off on that
0: tangent. (laughs) No, it's it's crucial. It's like, I literally like don't speak the language that I would need, uh, you know, in in, in just the way that I I sort of think about, you know, kids these days, like they don't know, but it's the same with me. Like, I I don't know what I'm I'm doing here, Um, which is good. I mean, it's good that we have uh, such a lot of stuff to learn. Like, I feel like it's a good thing to be in the business of um, of making making up imaginary academies and such. Um, so thanks again, guys. Um, y'all have y'all have resolutions for the new year. Maybe we can end on something, again looking forward a bit. Uh, something something achievable. Something that you think you'll actually uh, want to do enough to to do it. Um, or have you not thought about it yet since it's still. What a few hours till Yeah, we've got twelve uh, yeah, Coast. <laughs> oh, well, you're right. You guys are you guys are just under the, the gun here. Okay.
2: Yeah. So I think um, I'm going to try to expand my horizons um, with respect to video games this year. And part of that was buying the um, new Xbox. I downloaded Hitman Two, which okay. I thought looked like a really interesting game with all the DLC. Um, I think that's still downloading onto my machine because it was like, yeah. I mean, there's like 18 different like packs, but it was like $15 for you know everything, so um, couldn't say no to that. But Yeah, um, I think
1: the holiday sales.
2: Yeah, so I, I've just been kind of, uh, you know, I've talked about it a lot, and I, I feel like a old man on porch like yells at kids to get off lawn. Like I, I want to try to experience like what. Video games have to offer to me to or offer me these days. Um, and I, I've just been my, my view of video games and it just being like Nintendo consoles has just you know been too narrow, and I just need to, to broaden my horizons. So that's what I'm going to try to do.
0: Nice, Ben. How about you? I suspect
1: I have the opposite problem. Um, I have gotten to be a bit of a spendthrift as far as picking up new games is concerned, just because, like, between Epic offering a free one every week and trafficking and sales and Humble Bundles and being able to pick up stuff for free and cheaply all over the place, I now have a Steam library that is rapidly approaching 1,500 games. Um, And, like, I cannot. Like, I am physically incapable of playing all of them. But at this point, I am acquiring them faster than I can play them, and that's no good either. Um, So I am... Oh my, it's way over 1,500. Oops. Um, Rapidly (laughs) approaching 2,000. Um, Suffice it to say, I am hoping to curtail my purchasing habits and instead focus on the games that I already have. Um, I have become very... Like elitist as far as my play is concerned like I will get an hour into a game and be like mm, this isn't working and then just shut it off and never go back to it because I can afford to I still have a hundred more games in my playlist um yeah. but yeah I'm, I'm hoping to across the board like in my reading in my movie watching and my video gaming to sort of focus on the stuff that I have already and that I know will be good um, and just knock that list down a few pegs, um, rather than make it bigger and scarier with every passing week.
0: <laughs> it's it's a, a noble aim. I mean, are you going to have like some kind of mechanism to like cut yourself off if you start buying a bunch of games? Will you just like? I have a... I
1: don't at this point. Like I have, I have gradually been improving my my cutoff mechanisms. My like. Uh, ways of re- preventing myself from getting getting too into it, like you know, obviously all of these platforms make it as easy as humanly possible. Amazon will give you your game at the click of a button, and you know, Steam will do basically the same. Um, mm-hmm. And part of part of the the juggling act that is now my video game purchasing habits. So I have like six different wish lists across like six different platforms. Um, so I have vowed that every time I visit a wish list, I'm taking a game off of it. Um, and okay. that I will only buy games if they are on my wishlist. Um, so between the two, I think I will, will successfully keep it under control. Um, but just, a lot of it is just plain discipline at this point. Like, there's no, no two ways around it with the internet just falling over itself to make you spend money.
3: <laughs> Dude.
0: Yes. Yes. I, yeah, I feel that um, compulsion as well to try to catch up with again just a, a very uh, ever expanding and very fast moving um, like new game rush uh, but I yeah I don't know I I think my only resolution is really to, um, to be a better like participant in the uh in the community of, of video game players, if such a thing exists. Like, I, I really have been checked out for a long time um, as, as a consumer and as a, a, a critic, I guess, like, which I feel like um, I wanna try to just see what's out there and and respond to people, you know, the, the sorts of people who make really good YouTube videos and who write really interesting uh, think pieces and, and whatever just like you know send them an email or something um, some kind of feedback uh, and and get plugged in a little bit more yeah, to become an active participant plug. instead of just a consumer exactly, exactly. yeah and so uh, doing that sort of thing um, braving social media at least enough to like at somebody who wrote something interesting you know or I don't know just learn learn a little bit more of the uh, current uh, events, and yeah, and hopefully, yeah, put out some interesting stuff as well. Um, or for anyone out there listening, um, just uh, yeah, keep keep uh, keep the faith, keep passing the torch, keep um, uh, I don't know, turning off the dust storms uh, as yep. far as possible. Um, and yeah, you guys, happy new year almost. Yep. Just about that time.
1: Happy new year to you too, sir. Although you have to wait a couple more hours.
0: (laughs) We'll see if I make it there.